0: Chapter Fourteen of The Ocean Waifs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. According by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Ocean Waifs by Thomas Maine Reed. Chapter Fourteen: A Sale of Shark Flesh. It wanted but a little while of sunset sailor and his young comrade had finished flensing the shark. The raft now exhibited quite an altered appearance. Between the two upright oars several pieces of rope had been stretched transversely, and from these hung suspended the broad thin flitches of the shark's flesh. That at a distance might have been mistaken for some sort of sail. Indeed, they acted as such, for their united disks present a considerable breadth of surface to the breeze which had sprung up as the evening approached, and the raft, by this means, moved through the water with considerable rapidity. There was no effort made to steer it. The idea of reaching land was entirely out of the question. Their only hope of salvation lay in their being seen from a ship, and as the ship was likely to come from one direction or another, it mattered not to which of the thirty-two points of the compass their raft might be drifting. Yes, it did matter, so thought Ben Brace, on reflection. It might be of serious consequence, should the raft make way to the westward. How far neither could guess the greater raft with its crew of desperate ruffians, those drunken would-be cannibals, must be drifting about like themselves, at the mercy of wind and waves. Perhaps more than themselves suffering the dire extreme of thirst and hunger. Perhaps then, one of their own number may have been forced to submit to a hard fate, which they had designed for little William, and which, by the interference of his generous protector, would most certainly have been fallen him. Should he again fall into their clutches, there would be slight chance of a second escape. His protector knew that Ben knew, moreover, that his own life would be equally sure of being sacrificed to the resentment of the ribald crew with whom he had formerly associated. No wonder, as he felt the breeze blowing on his cheek. That he looked towards the setting sun to ascertain in what direction the raft was being borne. No wonder that his anxious glances became changed to a look of satisfaction when he perceived that they were moving eastward. To the eastward, are sure enough, said he. And that be curious, too, Tain't often I've seen the wind blow from the westward in these latitudes. Only another cat's paw in the middle of the calm. Tain won't last long, no, it won't matter so long as it don't turn and blow us the other way." The express wish not to be blown the other way Need no explanation. William understood what that meant. The fearful scene of the preceding day was fresh in his memory—that scene where half a score of fiend-like monsters, threatening his life, were kept at bay by one heroic man. That was a tableau too terrible to be soon forgotten. Nor had he forgotten it. Even for a moment, perhaps, during that brief conflict with the Sharks, the nearer danger may have driven it for an interval out of his mind, but that over, the dread remembrance returned again every now and then, even while engaged in various labors that had occupied him throughout the day. In a sort of walking dream he had recalled that fearful vision—often every few minutes, in fact—had his eyes been turned involuntarily toward the west where, instead of looking hopefully for a ship, his anxious glance betrayed a fear that any dark object may be seen in that direction. On finishing their task, both were sufficiently fatigued, the strong sailor as well as his feebler companion. The former still kept his feet, anxiously scanning the horizon, while the latter laid himself along the bare boards of the raft. Little Willem, said the sailor, looking down at the boy and speaking in gentle tones, "'You better spread the sail under ye and get some sleep.' "'There'd be no use in both o' us keepin' awake. "'I'll keep till it gets dark, and then I'll join ye. "'Go to sleep, lad, go to sleep.' William was too weary to make objection. Throwing the skirt of the sail over the raft, he lay down upon it and found sleep almost as soon as he had composed himself into the attitude to enjoy it. The sailor remained standing erect, sweeping the horizon with his glances, now bending his eye restlessly upon the water as it rippled along the edge of the raft, and again returning to that distant scrutiny, so often repeated, so often unrewarded. Thus occupied, he passed the interval of twilight, short in these latitudes, nor did he terminate his vigil, until darkness had descended upon the deep. It promised to be a dark, moonless night, only a few feeble gleaming stars thinly scattered over the firmament enabled him to distinguish the canopy of the sky from the waste of the waters that surrounded him even a ship under full spread of canvas could not have been seen though passing at a cable's length from the raft it was idle to continue the dreary vigil and having arrived at this conviction the sailor stretched himself alongside his slumbering companion and like the latter was soon relieved from his long protracted anxiety by the sweet oblivion of sleep end of chapter 14 recording by kenneth Sergeant gagan